My parents were both born in Jamaica, but I never lived a day in my life in Jamaica. Visited many times and, you know, I think a lot of times when people were like, oh, you're a chef, oh, you must make Jamaican food, because at the time I had dreads, and so they were like, oh, yes, Jamaican food. I'm like, oh, no, actually, uh, French country, or whatever I was making at the time. And, you know, it, it, it was also this feeling of like, can I say I'm making Jamaican food? Yes, I can, because that intention is there. That love, that memory, you know, one memory for me that always comes up is when we used to make patties at home on the countertop, my sister, my mom, my dad, and the four of us just making them and then grabbing the fork and then forking the edges to just seal it and lock in the flavor and then painting it with like the egg wash and the turmeric. That to me really gave me the, the sense of like, I can claim this. You're listening to Chef Suzanne Barr, and this is Chef Pod. This is Jason Innes. And this is Wendy Ma. With us today, we have Amanda Razine, and Amanda is a culinary management student here at George Brown College. Amanda is also the creator and owner of a small business called Delina's Dish Catering. Thanks so much for coming in and joining us today, Amanda. Thank you for having me. We have a really exciting guest today that I'm looking forward to talking to. Just this fall in 2019, Suzanne actually opened as head chef and owner of a diner right by George Brown College, actually, called the True True Diner. It's actually a concept that mirrors Suzanne's unique culinary repertoire and social advocacy, which I love. I love that. That's what this is about. Um, The diner concept pays homage to the sites of many civil rights sit-ins. The history of the diner is breaking down segregation, is what Suzanne has mentioned. Um, She's been heralded for championing marginalized people within the workspace through equitable employment practices. Her team members are all paid equal. Lovable wages and tips are pooled among not only front of house staff, but with the kitchen as well. Wow, fantastic. I can't take all the credit as far as making this decision, but I think that, you know, between myself, my my partner and husband, Johnny, and um, our manager, Stacey, we really wanted to think of a way that would be the most effective of thinking about the future of restaurants, thinking about the futures of how we can continue to grow and expand and get the message about how this industry is has faltered a bit and we're looking to rise it back up. And we have to be realistic about the fact that people that are working for us and working with us are not just warm bodies in kitchens. They are actually viable, living, breathing, um, conceptual people that have something to say and they have an impact that's going to last and make the restaurant all that it can and will be. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen right now is this feeling of this a little bit of ownership for them because they are not just getting a fraction, a small percentage of it. They're actually taking the, what they put in is what they receive back. I feel like I remember as even a student coming, going to school and working at the same time, there was always this feeling of detachment that you're just working for someone else and it was their ideas and you're so passionate at school and you're learning all these new skills that you want to provide to the restaurant you're working at and then you kind of go and you end up becoming just a cog in someone else's machine that they've worked really hard for. Absolutely. But it's a, it's a beautiful concept that you're doing. What kind of drove you to go this route it's, it's a challenging route as yeah. beautiful as it sounds you know i've this is my um this is the second restaurant I've, I've opened in toronto um my first project was called saturday dinette and we didn't do something similar but we did do something that was a little bit revolutionary and i think that just kind of depicts what and how i feel 
you need to approach when opening a restaurant. Listen, restaurants open every minute in this city and most cities around the world. So we want to come. We wanted to come at it quite different. We wanted to come with um, purpose and reason and um, thinking about well, how will this impact you know a conversation? How will this maybe even spread to other restaurateurs and other business owners to think about how living wage? What does a living wage actually look like? What does um, being able to fare and equally pay everyone and then pull the full tips so the front of the house isn't walking home like, yeah, I just made out bank. And the back of the house is like collecting $20 a week. Mm-hmm. What is that? I was a product of that when I worked in kitchens. And it always felt a little cheated. I felt always like, well, I guess when I open my own restaurant, maybe I can change some things and I can do things a little different and we can talk about what that means. Listen, is it a formula for success? I don't know. Is it working? I think so. I mean, every day it's a new day. It's a conversation we keep on having amongst the management team, but also with our main crew. You know, it's important to see how they're feeling, how they're growing. Is this impacting them? Is this helping them? Can they afford to get to work? Mm. And when you speak to some people within this industry, sometimes it's a struggle to even get 325 to get on the subway or the streetcar or the bus. Yeah, absolutely. And you work 18, 19, 20 hours. Illegal, yes, but necessary sometimes. And, you know, that's kind of some of the reasonings behind why um, of just thinking of doing it a different way. Do you want to take a moment and tell us a little bit about your cuisine, your style of food, what what you cook? I know you've got you've got Jamaican roots, and I'm hailing here from Barbados, so I, I really want to hear uh, I really want to hear what you have to say about the the Jamaican influence on the food. Yeah, you know, I didn't start uh, making Jamaican food. I think not because I had any had lost the love for it. I think that, to be very honest, it had a lot to do with losing my mom. You know, I lost my mom to cancer. That connection was an immediate um, emotional uh, and that would like infuse and make me feel a certain way that, you know, like you just kind of want to suppress things. And I think the reality was is I just wanted to suppress a lot of things about that I couldn't get access to. I wasn't living at home, so I couldn't get my dad's cooking and then I couldn't get my mom's cooking. So I think for me, when I graduated, I immediately wanted to make food that was about traveling, about the cities that I had been to and that I loved. So I started like really focusing on French countryside. And so for me, you know, when the opportunity came with uh, Saturday Dinette and then with this opportunity to cook at the Gladstone Hotel, it was, it was literally a shift. You know, at Saturday Dinette, we opened their doors and we, I was like, not sure what to cook. I just, I start. I was like making latkes. I was making gravlocks. I was making literally everything. Like anything that I had experienced or seen or read in a cookbook or I was like, I'm just going to put it on the menu. <laughs> it took me a long time to really find my voice and, and my food and my cuisine and to, before I could actually own it and say, this is me. It was, I think, that one of the first dishes that I made that I recognized quickly that, okay, maybe I need to, like, venture into this was um, we did, we started doing fried chicken on Fridays. You know, fried chicken for for me is, you know, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship for it because I don't want to stay over the fryer for, like, hours on mm-hmm. end frying chicken. And I don't want to be known as the fried chicken girl. 
you know, it's like you, you think of the history of black people and fried chicken and that led, led you know, that'll lead you down a whole different conversation that I don't think we have time to do. But I do think that that was when, you know, people were like, ooh, fried chicken. And we sold out. Like, we would sell out. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm that fried chicken. Yeah. But I was like, okay, we're going to pair it with some things. We're going to do it a little different. I'm going to, like brine it in some sweet tea and growing up in the south and in the u.s you know those southern roots really came through for me so then i'm like okay so i've got biz southern roots i got fried chicken on the menu but one thing that i always missed from my jamaican roots would be stew peas and rice which is like the braised cooked down kidney beans with coconut milk and spinners and traditionally you'll have like um pig's tail and pig's feet and beef I wasn't going to do all that. I was going to do it vegetarian. And why not? So rather than just calling it stew peas and rice, I was like, okay, what's another way to call this that people would be like, oh, yeah. So we called it the cassoulet. <laughs> and it worked. It was one of the best sellers at the restaurant. So we had fried chicken on Fridays, and then we had this vegetarian cassoulet or stew peas and rice. And it had the spinners. It had it had stewed beans. It had the coconut milk. It had the everything that you would make. But we added some roasted veg. We added a girl, a little um, pesto, and it just kind of this way of creating was for me very different from just like, oh, let me go to my cookbooks. So let me just go to to what people want to eat. I was like going deep into it was instinctual. Yeah, you know, I went. I really went into a place of thinking about my mom and not being scared that it was going to create this sense of me crying on the line every day, but just like thinking of how, like how powerful it was to make something that reminded me of, of my family and my upbringing. But I owned it because it wasn't the way my dad made it. It was the way I made it. And here I am now, like, making this. And I remember, never forget, my dad came to our restaurant to eat. And, you know, he was very skeptical about me becoming a chef. And he sat at the bar, looked at his daughter, and he was just like, okay, you did it different. And I was like, yeah, I did it my way. You know, like, I never was going to be the chef that maybe you thought I was going to be. I was always going to be the chef that I wanted to be. And that is kind of like, you know, where my food is now is making food that really conj like just brings up these memories for me. And, you know, the memories are always kind of shifting and they're 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 changing because I have a son. I'm married. I've have incredible new friends. I've got traveled a bit more. I've seen some new things and I see the parallel of like my new and my old you know, worlds and them coming together to create this new take on modern comfort with a spin and a flair of Caribbean. So on that note, I'll speak as also a first generation from a immigrant parents. I'm from Ethiopia and Eritrea, so our cultural food is injera. So growing up, I would always be with my mom in the kitchen watching her cook and just the smell, of course, would be very strong at first because we stew a lot of onions for very long. So you need to make sure all the coats, all the fabric is in the bedroom, close all of the doors, <laughs> open all the, all the windows, the balcony door. The neighbors might complain, but the food will come out amazing. We stew it with our spice. It's called Burberry, mm. and it's mm. very strong, um, but beautiful. It's um, a nice chili scent, basically. So I remember my mom throughout the years cooking our authentic food and we always ate it in a communal style, so we would eat it on a big dish. Everybody would, we eat with our hands as well. 
So we would take the injera. It looks like a pancake. And then you would scoop the stews or whatever the veggies are around, and we would eat. And then also um, we would feed each other as well mm-hmm. as like a family-oriented, loving thing, right? So growing up, I've always loved my food. I've had my days where I'm just like, I don't want to eat that. I don't want to bring it to school. It looks weird. It smells weird. People are going to make fun of me. But growing up, I was able to have more of appreciation for it. But I always had this stigma where because I'm born in Canada, because I'm North American, yes, I'm African, I don't think my cooking of my cultural food is authentic because I didn't come from there. Mm. So when I was reading what you had said where are your intentions authentic? It's not just are you giving it the dignity, the respect that it deserves, and then serving it in that same manner? Are your intentions authentic? So I just thought, wow, that blew me out of the park. I would never see it that way. So I just want to say thank you, first of all, because now I could say, I could harness that truth that I am cooking authentic East African food. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You know, I can relate on that on so many levels because I, too, like my parents were both born in Jamaica, but mm-hmm. I never lived a day in my life in Jamaica. Visited many times and, you know, I think a lot of times when people were like, oh, you're a chef. Oh, you must make Jamaican food. Because at the time I had dreads. And so they were like, oh, yes, Jamaican (laughs) food. I'm like, oh, no, actually, uh, French country or whatever (laughs) I was making at the time. And, you know, it it was also this feeling of like, can I say I'm making Jamaican food? Yes, I can, because that intention is there. That love that memory, you know, one memory for me that always comes up is when we used to make patties at home on the countertop, my sister, my mom, my dad, and the four of us just making them and then grabbing the fork and then forking the edges yeah. to just seal it and lock in that flavor and then painting it with like the egg wash and the turmeric, you know, like that to me really gave me like this sense of like, I can claim this. And I don't need to um, apologize mm-hmm. and say, well, I, I'm not born in Jamaica, but I love Jamaican food and I can make Jamaican food. Like I can actually say, no, I'm I'm Jamaican, you know, by birth. I'm born here in North America, but by by my heritage and my tribes, people and my love, I am Jamaican. And so own that. I own that every time. Yes. You had said that you started exploring not only your Jamaican roots, in Saturday Night Nets, but also when you were at the Gladstone. And what's interesting about the Gladstone was that you were the the first one that was a chef in residence at this place. Can you tell me a little bit more about that and why you chose that spot also to also play up a little bit more of the dishes that yeah. you were talking about? So Christina Zeidler, um, she is uh, the owner of the hotel, extraordinary person that had been a regular at the restaurant at Saturday Dinette. It, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to make, you know, because I, I was like, ah, she was like, yeah, we could be like Saturday Dinette. And I was like, I don't want it to do. I actually want to do something different. And I had never, ever, this would be would have been my first time ever making authentic Jamaican food in, in my voice. And this was my opportunity. So... You know, rather than making, writing a traditional, straightforward menu, appetizer starters, mains and sides and blah, 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 you know, um, Dominique Crenn has always been a, has always been a major influence for me. And and her and Alice Water, they have this way of writing recipes, poetic, poetic flow. And so I decided to write a love letter to my mom, 
and the style of the menu. So the actual menu was a letter to her telling her about all, all of my journeys. And intermittently throughout the letter, there were menu items that were offered. And so at first it was a little challenging because as a server, you're trained to like, you know, walk your guests through how to sell. And the <laughs> menu didn't really say, here's, these are good for starters. These are good for mains. The menu was a little bit of everywhere because it just was the flow of the letter. But we found a way and it was like a personalized letter. So you sat down at the, at the tables and you opened up this little envelope that was like, just for you and it was this full menu I put together a vision board of images that I wanted to kind of reflect the mood and the feeling for the restaurant and I made a soundtrack for that (laughs) so like I like I went the distance like we made um placemats we made fabrics we made um signage the menu was written in like certain like um vernacular that was patois and then we had like a uh, little uh, or every every guest that came in to the restaurant left with a little uh wrapped a piece of um black cake now if you've ever been to like a traditional jamaican wedding you're given like a box you know sometimes you've given those almonds okay and jamaican weddings you're giving a piece of black cake and that's like the wedding cake and it's got like a thick piece of fondant on it so we didn't do the fondant but we did black cake and so we wrapped that in wax paper and so every guest had it and that was like that treat that you leave the wedding with and you're like oh my gosh i got black cake i'm so happy <laughs> you eat it a couple days later and so we uh, we gave black cake as a little offering to leave you, to part you with, to remember what you experienced. And we made sorrow punch and we made cocktail. It was, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty incredible. How long were you there for? Um, so the initial time was only supposed to be uh, two months, but we extended another two months. And so we were there for four months and then um, an opportunity came for me to stay on as um, one of the chefs there. And I stayed on for a bit longer, but that that four months and, you know, the month before of just planning and testing every dish. And we made a ramen from scratch, like my sous chef. He was like, I totally drove him to become a madman. <laughs> and he went crazy for learning and figuring out how to make the ramen noodles alkaline based. And it, he oh, let I've broken was... pasta rollers. <laughs> trying to do. I mean, I was, it was, you know, that our jerk chicken ramen was, you know, for me, it was definitely, I mean, I actually, I, I think I cooked here at George Brown with it and I won. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I want my beautiful little knife that I still have. So it was, it, it made a, it made a, it made that extra, you know, shift in my life to to give me this strength of knowing that I could cook food, this traditional familiar food, but in my own voice. And it was awesome. It really was. Is this still running this program? It's not right to my knowledge. I don't believe it is. It was definitely, it was an investment. Right. And I think that, you know, those are like passion projects. And it's it's a it's they come maybe once in this dynamic time and I think for her it was it was it was everything that we we needed it to be mm. and I, we all learned a lot from it and I think that's why my my staying on to the team and really working with Christina and working with the young chefs that were there was like vital because of like we had built we were a family like we really truly like learned a lot about each other we learned a lot about food making food that culturally is specific to Jamaica but then 
you know, my sous chef at the time, he's from Iran. And then he was like, oh, well, we have something like that in Iran. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, like my mom would make that and my dad and like my grandmother. And then someone else on our team was from, um, he was from Costa Rica. He was like, oh, yeah, in Costa Rica we have this. And then someone was from Trinidad. And they're like, and it just kind of like was this beautiful like, like conversation that was like every single day someone was like, dude, this reminds me of this. My grandmother, or I made this and we have these similar crossover foods that we share and we don't know. And maybe it's because we don't always have time to talk about what, where people are from and what we're making, but it was, it was really, it was really a beautiful opportunity. So as you've been talking, I've heard you use the word true and truth. Um, it seems like a very important value to you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you created the 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 restaurant name true true (laughs) (laughs) you know i can't even um i could be honest and say that did i coin the the name no i did not um true where true true diner currently is there was a pizza establishment called true true pizza prior to us coming on board but what was really powerful is that i think i've said before and i always say it's like everything happens for a reason and we go full circle in our lives for a reason to end up sometimes where we need to be intentionally. And we had gone in circles and circles of what to call this when we had made a decision to step in as partners. And we were, you know, playing around with Saturday Dinette 2 or Miss Dinette or, you know, True Something. And and I think that what was really what just kept coming back was as we started to talk about what the value is like what is this going to be you know is it a safe space is it a space that's going to see um inclusivity for everyone like is it going to include those that feel like they don't want to just be stuck in the back of the house anymore or is this going to be something you know something great and something new and something fresh and so i think with all these little conversations and all these ideas True, true diner. And I think we thought about the idea of it, you know, Saturday Dinette really talked about, you know, the diner setting and how it brought people of all kinds together. It, it was it was your corner spot that you would come to, whether it was for your celebration, your birthday, your breakfast once a week. But when you think about a diner and diner culture, and the significance and the power of what diners are, not just in the U.S., but globally. It was about, you know, eating cultural food that was were represented from around the world. You know, it, 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 diners were a global map of makeup of where you were living at the time. You could have a schnitzel, you could have a burger, you can have french fries, you can have pasta, you can have a little bit of everything, and I think that you know diner to to me is so indicative of the food that i'm so passionate about which is making food that it, it it conjures that sense of comfort it conjures that sense of like community it conjures that sense of like food from like anywhere food that's just inspiring and diner attached to true true to me just made sense and to our partners they were they went along with it and so you know again it just brings back home this this feeling of like everything happens for a reason and sometimes it takes a little time to get there and to really really see and understand that but you will eventually (laughs) (laughs) 
So essentially in six years, you've <laughs> skyrocketed from a restaurateur chef to an activist, a public speaker, uh, a teacher, not to mention the hardest of all tasks for anybody is that you also became a mom during this journey. So how can we just like for a minute celebrate this for a second? <laughs> yes, please. How are you? <laughs> Do you sleep? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, it's uh, Miles, my son, he's four now. And, you know, it's it's definitely getting a little easier. He has a lot more questions. He wants to get more involved. He wants to like have his hands in everything. So just trying to, you know, monitor that and and give him space, a lot of free space to think about what that means. And then also giving just time for just one on one time with him. So it's uh yeah, it's a daily it's a daily challenge. But I have like a, a really like incredible team of people that, you know, I work with, we work together to really make sure that, you know, every day is filled with a lot of joy and a lot of, a lot of like just communicating and planning and like keeping me <laughs> um, caught up with like my scheduling. Cause it definitely can, I, it gets away from me sometimes. I remember you telling a story when you first opened Saturday Dinette, you had Miles literally on your back or your chest while working does he still show up at true true and i mean because to me that's kind of what a diner does feel like is actually seeing family running i mean some of my favorite ones anywhere i go in the world there's always the grandpa's somewhere the grandma's somewhere the the in-laws are now running the front of house and there's always that connectivity so is he still making an appearance at true true absolutely every <laughs> every you know we we kind of been controlled it a bit so he's there twice a week uh sundays and like one day out the week um he loves it i mean he loves to um he's really great with not just the staff but and the team but also like the customers like and putting on a little show and then if there's kids in the restaurant he's the first to go grab the the toys from the toys area and bring them over and make sure like hey you know like here's some toys and so that to me is him learning and growing up in a community you know space that he feels safe in and it's really important that that space is as safe for him as it is for my team and my staff and you know for all of us saw you on um uh the mad symposium um, where you were discussing balancing and and, and children in, in restaurants, and you made a great statement. You said, why can't we have daycare in restaurants? You know, as working parents, like, I think some of the biggest struggles that we deal with is, like, you might have daycare options during the day, but what happens at night? Yeah. yeah. What happens after 5 when daycare are closing in an hour and you're rushing across town to go pick up your child? And what happens when you're like, I have to work a double? And you don't want your kid just to be sitting in front of a television monitor or a screen or some something. And, you know, it's still something that I think we have we still talk about is like creating some type of partnership yeah. with um, either a space, not necessarily daycare space, but just a space. And if we can organize and maybe work with one of the schools that have an educational program and we create um, a pay in that, you know, subsidized pay in that as working parents, we can like pay in like just daycare but after five yeah i'm completely on board with you with the daycare i <laughs> definitely need that but i do have a question like the whole story about your journey the way you ran the restaurants how you created that menu and everything it sounds so beautiful 
but I know there were some struggles. <laughs> if you can please um, even share with me, because as a young chef trying to become a professional in this world, I do know that there are troubles with, say, for example, our race as well. What is the issue or what have you gone through that has shaped you in a way where you can stand tall in the position that you're in now, knowing that, yes, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color. I'm proud of this. And I've been able to overcome this, and now I want to help others overcome this as well. I hope that makes sense. Sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I'm going to kind of take it in because I feel like I understand what the question is. But, you know, if I can share a story of when we, you know, when we first opened Saturday Dinette, open concept kitchen, um, the bar lined the wall when you walk through the first the front door to the right was the bar and it was seating for about nine people. And then immediately it passed into the first um, prep area for the kitchen and then was the pass. And, you know, on the pass to traditionally it was about two of us and then one in the prep area. So we were always on like open concept as much as we love them. You have to be on looked apart, you know, watch your screw face, make sure you're not like, (laughs) you know, make sure you're like, make just your station is tight and clean. What? Exactly. Salt? <laughs> like, no. I know. I, I seasoned that. Um, the amount of times that, you know, um, customers would come in and approach my husband, and he happens to be um, Australian, Greek-Australian, and would immediately just assume that he is a chef, and they would come up to him and say, oh, my gosh, your food is incredible. Like, how like where how do you get these flavors and he would say actually it's my wife like she's the chef i'm you know this is our restaurant you should actually probably talk to her about it and their faces would drop you know and i and i and i think for me it was it was always going to be a bit of that i knew that there was always going to be a bit of a struggle i'm typically always put myself in these situations where i'm either one of some are one of none or one to be able to make a change for the many to come. And I think knowing that that's who I have been and who I've seen myself in every facet of, of the work life that I've done, I've, I wear that as like this sense of like of honor. Like I, I, I kind of take that with so much respect and pride and, you know, not silencing my voice as being a black chef and being a black female chef and being able to contest some or even my other female chefs and saying like the conversation around, you know, food and race has everything to do with where we're at in our, our own personal growth and understanding. But I'm not going to apologize for saying what I'm feeling. I'm going to make sure that um, I'm standing along a long line of extraordinary individuals that I am proud and honored to share this 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 journey with, because what we're doing is a crazy journey. It is a crazy ride that our parents don't even understand, and that's okay too because their journey was their own, and this is your journey. And figuring out what it is and how you want to portray what you feel is some of your life's work is going to be the journey that you're going to take with yourself every day. 
and it's going to be a bit by bit, step by step. You're going to make some, maybe some bad turns. You're going to make some right, wrong turns, maybe some back turns, some flips, whatever. But all of that is going to just, just almost empower you more to understand. Like I had to go through that to know how important it was for me to go through that, to be where I'm at and where I'm going and not feeling bad, not feeling like I have to uh, make that because people expect that of me, but I'm making it because I am proud to make that. Like when I was able to own that, like Caribbean food is my food and not just because I have dreadlocks and people think that I'm a black woman, I must know how to cook fried chicken, but making the fried chicken that I make with so much pride because of I know that the story behind it is what's making it so great. You know, and as a as a young, up-and-coming, aspiring chef, entrepreneur, business owner, you have an opportunity, not an obligation, an opportunity every day to make an impact, not just for someone um, that looks like you, but just for anyone that has a dream to really, really, really pursue the thing that you love and knowing that it can change because mine changed and it still changes, you know, and that's okay. But like doing uh, for the love and understanding and for the, the opportunity. That's incredible. So as chefs, we always get this question, right? Like people are always go, Oh, you're a chef. What's your favorite thing to cook? Right. So I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> Thank but, you. But, but what I am going to ask you is if you could eat one thing right now, what would it be? Oh, that was a really good one. <laughs> Honestly, the first visual that popped up for me was doubles. Nice. <laughs> and I am not Trini, but I, um, They're delicious. I love doubles. And, you know, uh, it was something that I, one of the dishes I left at the, at the uh, hotel was a double recipe. So yeah, I think I'd do some doubles right now. You want to tell the, the listeners what a double is? Yeah. Or what a double or what a doubles is. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a deep fried dough that has been um, tinted and hued with a turmeric spice, um, whether it's fresh or dried. Um, it's then filled with a chickpea or chana that's curried with a little bit of potato, lots of spice and heat, the more the merrier. And then you can kind of add into it like from like keeping it kind of simple, straightforward like that. And you eat it rolled up or you can add a little bit of chutney, you know, um, mm-hmm. I've been known to add a little bit of a tamarind chutney to mine just to kind of get a little sweetness to help with the heat from the chana and it's just like it's hot dough with like a little bit of spice and protein and curry come on now and on your way over you left true true diner to come over here you were making hot sauce i understand I was making some pepper sauce. Yeah, 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 we do a pepper shrimp on the menu. Yeah. Um, it's a girl, like a kind of a hot paprika garlic sauce. Yeah. Um, it's very true to where my mom grew up, which is uh, near Black River in St. Elizabeth, Jamaica. And traditionally, when you see, when you get in the neighborhood, then when you see it, it's in a, it's hanging like from a, like a stick. Someone's selling it on the street with on a stick and a plastic bag. Yeah, yeah. And they're bright red mm. little shrimp. And they're just like spicy and you peel them and you eat them and they're salty and they're, they're like it's just kind of yeah nice. a little bit of heaven a little bit of sun surf this has been 
fascinating and wonderful. Thank you both so much for coming in today. Mm-hmm. Amanda, from the student perspective, um, thanks so much for your wonderful questions. And Chef Suzanne Barr, taking time out of your super, super busy schedule to come spend some time with us and help sow the seeds for the future of the young chefs and specifically um, how to how to become you know a wonderful um, leader like yourself. Thank you so, so much for coming in and spending time with us. Thank, Thank you very you. much. My name is Jason Ninnis. My name is Wendy Ma. You've been listening to Chef Pod. Where we're sowing the seeds for the future of the culinary industry.